0: Hi, and welcome to the January Magazine On Acting Podcast, where we talk to actors a little bit about where they've worked, a little more about why they work, but a lot about how they work. So I'm joined today with Matthew Harrison, and Matthew has a long list of credits, including all three United the Museum movies, Romeo Must Die, The Legend of Tomorrow, uh, and he's also uh, an acting teacher who owns and founded the Foundry, the Actors Foundry, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Matthew, let's start. Where did you grow up? <coughs> oh, great.
1: Um, I grew up in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I just found out that I'm, I'm actually filming a miniseries in Montreal. I just found out minutes ago, and I have to fly cool. up Friday, so I get to go home. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of a dream. I get to go home and act in Montreal. But, uh, and act in French, which is really cool, because... Um, I haven't done that except on stage, like twenty years ago. But I was um, so I'm from Montreal, yeah. And then uh, I took a degree in politics in Montreal, uh, and then I found myself on stage, and then I moved to New York City, and I studied New York City.
0: Well, before you get there, when was your first? What was your first experience with acting? Huh? What was your what was your first? I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. <sighs> huh?
1: It could be anything. Well, my first. Experience of acting. Performance,
0: I, even. like Yeah. The well, I'm,
1: so I'm a piano player. Okay? okay. And I played piano as a kid, classical piano, right? And so uh, the, having to play in front of a, a crowd and perform and play the notes correctly and, and move the audience and things is something that I kind of started at like six did or you, seven. You took lessons? Yeah, oh, yeah. I took, oh, oh I took great. lessons. Oh, rigorous. I did the whole uh, Toronto Conservatory thing. Oh, and, really? Yeah. How old were you when you started that? Uh, right. I started playing piano at three. And then, really? yeah, I stopped, uh, I stopped, uh, I was kind of at one point thinking of going into a performance career, classical music, and I stopped around 16, 17, out of resentment and hormones and things, and I just, <laughs> you know, I found other interests like As cars and girls. Yeah, yeah. And, um, which I regret, actually. Uh, not regret, but um, it, uh, it's something that I, I would tell my younger self to not ever stop. But I, you know, and I still play, I play in a band, I, I, I play classically, so, yeah. but anyway, so, um, yeah, I was on, um, I,
0: think I was are. on
1: stages playing, playing piano, and then uh, I got involved with some musical theater stuff for kids, like, you see, I'm getting a memory I never even thought about before, when I was studying politics, which was uh, now, probably actually my first time on stage, but I was singing in choirs, and so i um, how old are you? Oh this is now i 'm in my twenties i 'm twenty twenty one twenty two and I was singing in these professional choirs because I was studying uh, political philosophy and then and i 'm still not quite sure why and then um but I was um, finding my artistic outlet that way and uh, I was a tenor, I had a big high voice <clears throat> which i don 't have anymore
0: right
1: and uh and the guy next to me uh was hitting on me and uh I told him I didn't float that way. We became really good friends. And we're still friends to this day, James. And he's, uh, he was artistic director of a theater company. And uh, literally, he asked me if I wanted to come hang out and meet An girls. <laughs> no, literally, like paint, paint the sideboards and just like hang out and meet, meet girls. It was his thing. And I was like, oh, sure. And so, you know, I was hanging out. with These actors. And I thought, oh, this is kind of fun, you know, on my part time. And then uh, their lead booked a TV show. And they were about to open, like, in a week. And I'd been hanging out, and I'm a singer. So it was a musical. So I memorized all the songs and stuff. So he was like, you want to be the lead? I'm like, sure. And that's, I fell into it, literally. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. So you were the lead, and what was the show? Uh, Company, Stephen Sondheim's Company. Oh, I don't know. Being alive, Were you singing? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And I'm willing to bet that I was terrible, Mm -hmm. but um, the reviews were pretty good. And there was reviews? Yeah, it? it was a big
0: production. Oh, wow. Like, what was the seat? How many seats in the house?
1: Uh, wow. It was the Face Auditorium. So, three, four hundred like that. Oh, really? It was yeah. a real
0: deal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Working but out the, the song. You would say that was your first experience of acting? And did you know from that moment that, that that's what you did? You know, some people talk about how there's a sense that the minute they start acting that that's what they want to do. Or, yeah. let me put it to you this way. Did you already know from your time as a piano player that you wanted to perform? Or did you think this was just a, a passing fancy?
1: I thought it was a passing fancy, big time. Uh, I didn't... Performance is not something I would have thought about at all. Yeah. And actually, to be fair, I was a pretty good-looking kid, but I was uh sort of mm, pseudo-intellectual, cerebral mm, in, introvert, like, and, and pretty um, insecure kid. Like, yeah. I, I carried around depression and stuff. And so I was that kind of, like... Guy moping in the corner, talking about Nietzsche a little bit. <laughs> now I'd hate that guy, but I understand but then, um when I had that that moment in company, it was so intensely freeing. It was really, really freeing and, on stage. yeah, and then there was this moment of I could be everything that I am and also not be me anymore. And I was so free of my own ego, my insecurity and everything, that I was high. I was literally high. And I I would say I became addicted to being on stage and being character. But not, like, being able to express yourself fully and really not be about you was, like, the most freeing thing. Because for me, I was, I didn't express myself very much and it was always about me and my right. pain and yeah, all yeah. that. And so I got, I was, like, literally high on life because of it. And that. And I never looked back. It was it was love at first sight. Do you
0: feel that most times when you're acting still? Do you still feel that? that oh, when energy? it's good. When it's good, yeah, yeah. Right,
1: oh, right. when it's good. That's what it's all about. When it doesn't go that way, it's torturesome and you may as well just gouge your eyeballs out because <laughs> right. then it's all about you and your insecurity right. and your pain and you're not escaping it. Yeah. But we're going to talk about my teaching. I'm sure as a teacher, I've, I feel uh, even there are t- sometimes I love teaching more than I love acting. And... There are times when I walk into class and I'm tired, I've been teaching a lot, it's raining, you know, and I feel I'm in, 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 inclusive that day and it's like, it's hard to get yourself up and be the, you know, the um, lead by example, connected, exciting teacher. Yeah. And moments, moments will go by in teaching and I hit that high again. I always get really? t- I always get a teaching. I'm getting, I'm getting for Clemth right now because teaching... Allows me the the exact same release that I got standing on that stage in we're talking 1990 19... <laughs> that exact same feeling that release because when I teach it's not about me it's about the students but it's also like I get to be the best me and express myself right. and it's so exciting you know uh,
0: that was I mean I I had intended to ask you how much your teaching informs your acting. That's the opposite, I guess, is your acting informing your teaching in that sense. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean obviously it would. Um, uh, not to jump around too too much, but oh, how, how do you think your how much do you think your acting informs your teaching? Or does it do you think it informs it in a positive way all the time, or both positive and negative ways?
1: Oh, I can't see it in a negative way. At all. The the uh, so I've had a bit of a nice run this year. It's a busy year and and I just like, we just wrapped, I just wrapped the TV TV show, broke, I did four episodes of, or five episodes, and then, and I was uh, playing um, Jamie Spears, Britney Spears's father in this movie biopic, which was an amazing experience. And there I am on set, and every moment that I'm on set, I mean, except for when I'm acting, but even maybe then a little bit, I don't know, but every moment on set is fertilizer for my class. That might be the wrong metaphor. <laughs> I mean, like, 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 fertile anecdotes and stories. And I and I look at stuff, and I go, God, I tell my students about this. Like I think, and I write notes down. Yeah. And I, I go, Oh God, this is such a great experience. This one right here, because this is where I teach them this. And here's an uh, Here's an example of why you've got to do this. Then, and you know, like for example, young guy is on set. He's not um, because I was uh, I did a whole month on this movie, so I was really comfortable with the crew and everybody. And and this young guy came in and he had his one day part, right? And uh, it's a big emotional scene between he and I. I'm attacking him. He's one of the hangers-on of Brittany and all that. And his first team rehearsal, he kind of was just walking through it. Right. And, you know, I teach my students, you give it your all in first team rehearsal. And some sets don't work that way, but I'm like, you have to give it your all first team rehearsal. goes how will the director, how will the crew know, how will you know where your body's going to land, what the scene's going to be like? Like, go for it. The right. rehearsal's full on up. And he didn't. He had the sides in his hand and was kind of walking through. And... The director was like, I want full. I need full. Give me the whole rehearsal. And I was like, there you go. And so I went, ooh, I can't wait to tell my students. So there's something about being on set, which is really, like, for me, I'm so excited because I'll, I'll have something more to talk to my students about. So I go into my real-world examples in order to come back and reinforce what I'm teaching.
0: How many times in, in your teaching have you had something that you took as an ultimate, eh, not an ultimate truth, but like a, a truth like that about, by the first team rehearsal, and then it changed uh, throughout the years. Do things? Do you find that things change throughout the years, or has your uh, is your process or process basically the same as when you started? It just with you know fine fine tuning.
1: Uh, you know that question's tough because, in all humility, which is not my strongest suit, but nor <laughs> it should there should it be? But I try to find. Humility. If, no, I like I come to teaching with a, uh, a confusing uh, a, a contradiction of extremely firm philosophical ideas about what acting is, the baseline, the fundamentals of acting. Yeah. But then as a teacher, if I don't learn something in a class, then I have failed that class. Like I need right. to... I, I would prefer to think of myself as the student ahead of all the other students. And at the, with the gray or the, the white that's coming in my hair and yeah, yeah. the wrinkles in time and 50 edging on, that gap is getting wider and wider. Yeah. But I, I like to be the ultimate student, so I'm always learning. And so it's really exciting to me to um, go down a path and then have a sort of wall that I'd set up in my own teaching break down and, and then push through something even further. But if I had now at the risk of sounding arrogant, I don't feel like I've gone in the wrong direction in a long, long time. I would say that my teaching in the... I made mistakes when I first started teaching in the first five, six, seven years, that I now go, that was actually not right. Yeah. But I would say in the last decade, <clears throat> my teaching's becoming more specific, and I'm getting closer and closer, and I'm pushing further and further towards, like, the ultimate thing of what this is which is something you'll never attain but I keep working towards you're fine tuning yeah and more and it's fine tuning and it's there's new new concepts that'll come up or new ways to explain a concept or you know I only like one of the big basises of my teaching is counterpoint in A over B equals B over A in scene analysis yeah and I mean that really only developed three three years ago four years ago right. in that kind of I finally found a way to explain it correctly. and, it, and I've, So I kind of think of things as, I have an idea, mm-hmm. and then it becomes, I have a h- hunch, which then becomes, I have a rule that I'd like to work on, and then after a few years, I'll finally declare it like law. Like all scenes are A over B equals B, or A is a law. All scenes have counterpoint, you know. Emotional preparation is an absolute, like things like this, right. like we work from imagery. And
0: Where did you train?
1: I trained at the neighborhood playhouse. Right. Um, which was, uh, I, in retrospect, the, one of the single greatest experiences of my life and also the most frustrating experience of my life. And I think I got both the greatest and most limited education. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And so now I'm, I think I stand on the shoulders of Sanford Meisner, Stella Adler, um Hagen had a certain respect, but M- Meisner, Stella, and then you know S- Strasberg, and and way down uh, there, standing on the shoulders of Stanislavski, and then Richard Pinter was on top of Meisner, right? And in some ways, I'm standing. On Richard top Pinter of R- being Richard Pinter being the great teacher of the Playhouse in my era, right? Uh, I I was the very 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 last class to touch Meisner, but he was like in a wheelchair. Well, <laughs> <just with> that, <laughs> right. But um. Uh, Pinter was, um, alive and well and living at the Playhouse then. And, uh, the Bates' root philosophy and the paradigm of psychological realism and what acting is, um, is fundamentals. It hasn't changed. But uh, I think they skipped two-thirds of what acting is, I think they, um, uh, hampered us with some improper ideas. And I also think that Sanford Meisner lived in a fear and greed-based Freudian world, and psychology has developed so much in the last 40, 50 years right. that he could not possibly have known that he was teaching things wrong.
0: Well, can I... I'll put this forth to you. And this is... My intention to be interviewing people is not to talk a lot, but I'm about to talk a lot. Oh, no, I like it. But I'm reading Lawrence Olivier's book again because I hadn't read it for about ten years. Very cool. And uh, his the book that he wrote on acting. It's not about my acting. It's called something else. But um, one of the things he talks about is the the classic Shakespearean actors uh, and how one would pass the torch down to the next, to the next, to the next. And he was uh, insinuating in the the latest one I was reading about how the actor had had gone to a new level of realism with his uh, the way he was stopping and starting because someone had no- taken notes about his performance. And I thought. That could be one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that the ebbs and flows of of society dictate sometimes what how the performance is going to be. So, yeah. um, for you oh, know, no. your example, Sanford Meisner may have just been right for his time, but oh yeah, our time, things like you know, <clears throat> let me as a really obvious example, lately in movies, in the last five couple odd years, the lead actor in an in a in a action movie talks a bit like this. Everything's really interesting. Oh, no, I'm so, nobody's, you know, having, uh, nobody's having a laugh. And now we're starting to see a shift of that as actors, the uh, lead actors have a bit of joy in them and a bit of fun. Yeah. And that's just all about aesthetic. But it is it could be interpreted as, that's realism. Oh, was realistic when he talks low. Well, so uh, could it be that with the Sanford Yeah, I would, I would say you're
1: spot on. I think there's more to it even, but that's right. I think, you know, in 1949... Uh, Uh, Marlon Brando changed the world by walking on stage and being Stanley Kowalski and no one had ever seen something so realistic and animalistic. I watch that movie now and I go, it's just so artificial and fake and pronounced. And I don't think Brando's nearly as good as anybody says, but I think it was for its time he knocked down a whole wall, which was pretty cool. I think in 1950s America was a superficial time and people didn't Necessarily engage. It was extremely pre Oprah. Yeah, yeah. People didn't engage in honest and authentic talks about like that miscarriage or yeah. cancer or feelings of depression or you know mental illness. Or in in 2016, in an era where there's uh, YouTube and uh, Vimeo, and we can FaceTime our friends, and we can documentary means something because i don't think documentary meant much in the 70s and 80s no, and only, now yeah. now it's like uh, you know it's oh. important Jeez. but i think people watch people die for real i think people watch i mean reality television is bunk but a certain aspect of it is that's somebody actually reacting and what's interesting is that's somebody actually reacting like they're really happy even though they just lost and that <laughs> yeah, contradiction right. that kind of stuff and but uh you know, a lot of people watched the young girl get shot in Tehran and watched her die on video. And you go, it's pretty hard to now go to your bad television show and die badly. Like, I think in the 21st century, the millennial generation knows what reality, be- real behavior looks like much more accurately than anybody did in the 50s and 60s. Right. And so the representation is somewhat about probably society, but I think it's also a lot about our acumen in yeah, understanding yeah. social behavior. And the other thing is that I think <clears throat> acting is the art of uh, life. The science of life is psychology. Man, what we know about how we work now is is exponentially grown since, you know, the a, a silly Freudian kind of simplicity. Yeah. And so mirror neurons, <laughs> you know... Um, the discrepancy in our time that we're not in the universe, we're actually 80 milliseconds out of the universe, the imagery-based, that there's no difference between memory and imagination, they're the same thing, that we're... Um,
0: Wait a second, there's no difference between memory, memory and, and
1: imagination. imagination. Oh, Is that wanna, true? You want to go into that one? No,
0: no, not necessarily. Oh, yeah. But I just, I'm just thinking, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. That there's no future or past, there's only present, and that we are image-collecting systems, and right. then we mix imagery in order to uh, validate whatever narrative we need to feel today. And so, if I go, if I go, remember that time, you know, uh, my father was whacking my mom in the front of the car and I'm in the back, did it happen that way? Or am I seeing how I needed it to have happened? Mm -hmm. And I'm reconfiguring images in my head to make it happen. I'm making a little movie in my head. If I go, uh, my gosh, what would it be like to be an old man and watch my son and his wife fight in the front seat of the car? Like, see, it's actually making me emotional, but like... You know, now, is that going to happen? Has it happened? Is it happening? Right now, it's happening for me. Mm-hmm. So we just create... We're movie-making machines, and we create little movies in our heads. Which is valuable as an actor. If you're a... Oh, I invaluable. Mean, like... It's absolute. It, it frees you right up. You go, I don't have to have shot somebody to know how to shoot somebody. you got to fill it in the story.
0: Yeah, you've got so much... You're a
1: narrative-making machine, you know?
0: How important is that to you when you're working on something to fill in the backstory that's not not even alluded to in the script? Woo, this is... Um, so I'm very,
1: very wary of actors who write backstory. Because I feel like... My, my, my joke is... Okay. So an actor, instead of... Okay, everything's in the script. It's all in the script. There's things that are implied in the script. They're in, they're, your, your backstory will be inspired by the script, but it should all come from the script. It has to be right. provable from the script. If you just are the person who's like, I'm going to write a backstory... So then you start going, you know. I think my guy probably lived in Paris in the '80s, and you know what? He probably flirted with being gay. Maybe he had a, and you write. He yeah, started start like, making stuff. Yeah, up. he had a boyfriend named Maurice you're in Paris, the and then yeah, and then so now you're on set and you're doing a moment, and the moment is like, listen, buddy, get the f- away from my wife, you know. And you go, listen, get away from my wife, and the director comes out and goes, ah, okay, I think you're probably a little more tough than that and then you go oh no no because when I was with my boyfriend Maurice in Paris in the 80s and the director's well, like I don't know what you're talking about let
0: me stop you because let's assume for a second that <laughs> nobody's doing dumb things like that oh no are you kidding me <laughs> but let, no just you but, directors are asking but, actors to go right their straight. But, 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 but. but let me let me because the point, the reason I'm asking is uh, there are, uh, do you not think that there's a time yes where, where you, something something's alluded to in the script and you need to fill that in or do so, you not think that you need to bother filling no. it in so just Jamie Spears
1: uh, I, uh, my, my, I just played Jamie Spears I wrote a forty-five page. I'm gonna put it online on my on my online campus when once it airs because I don't want to like you know. But um, I wrote a forty-five page notes for me on the character, based on the real guy because he's a real guy, so his biography, but based on the script. And in the script, he's an alcoholic. He then confesses his alcoholism, goes to rehab. We don't see any of that. He then comes back. He's now a recovered alcoholic. Just when Brittany is going down into the head-shaving destruction, and then he saves her life, right? right? So there's a moment where he confesses to her about, I've been a bad man, I've done bad things, and I regret it, and I'll always regret it, and I'll never forgive myself, but I love you, and I've moved forward, and, you know, he's got that kind of speech. Yeah, yeah. So I went, hmm, he's been through a rehab program. So I went and took the 12-step program, And step four of the 12-step program is to do a rigorous self-inventory of your flaws as a human being. And I spent a whole afternoon, and I put Jamie Spears through a step four program, and I stepped forward his whole life, and I found it so moving. Um. And then, so I go, like, uh, I put him through the program in my backstory, and I set all that up. And now there's a scene where I go, I just simply go, I love you, and I'm here for you. And then it was cut. And a real simple scene. I didn't think about that, but I had done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the director, it was actually not the director, it was the producer, came over to give me this compliment. She was like, every scene you're in is so much better than it was on the page. And she goes, it's just you're so different than you were at the beginning of the film. And I go, oh, yeah, thank you. That's because I I had to go, and we're shooting at a sequence, too. So I had to go, so I'll do that kind of work. Like... I, I just don't want to create anything. But I went, you know, I... Uh, <clears throat> we don't know that much about him, but he's a, he lived in a small town, Kenwood, Louisiana, 1,100 people, and his mom committed suicide when he was 30. And he's an alcoholic. So that's all I got. And there's nothing else on him. Right. So I wrote two or three pages mm-hmm. of, like, well, high school football was probably his moment. And he's a good-looking guy, so it's like he was probably vetted in high school, but his mom committed suicide when he was a kid. The alcoholism's got to come from somewhere. I'm sure the dad was an alcoholic. And And I just kind of, like, I I filled in space for myself. And do you do
0: that every time you have a role? Or is it unique to, like, is that something you... I I get the sense that you said sometimes it's a bad idea that you don't do it every time. Well, you just,
1: well, you just, it just, you, you gotta be so careful that you don't start inventing and writing. You can't... Because you mm. we're all insecure and arrogant simultaneously. So my insecurity is going to want to make sure that this is an exciting character. And my arrogance will take over and I'll make the character who I want it to be not what the page says. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes that actors make, I just gave a talk on this, is um, letting interpretation wield its ugly head uh, because of prejudice. Mm. Like, you go to a scene and you just... You go, uh, you know... I'm, I'm. I just now was uh, directing uh, this, these these uh, students in my acting class, and they were doing this scene. And I said, um, "She's not malevolent like that. She wouldn't attack him like that." And she goes, I, "If I was in this moment, dying, and he didn't want to take care of my kids, I'd be really angry." And I go, "Well, that's lovely, but that's, that's irrelevant because that's not what she's doing." Right. And then I. I and then this is um, terms of endearment. And then I broke down the whole script, and I was like. She's the embodiment of love, generosity, and forgiveness. So, even in her dying moments, she's still being kind to him. That's the whole point of the scene. Yeah. And yeah. I go, you can't, you can't impose what you want on the scene. So I would say, a very, a tread very, very gently into the minefield of backstory or interpretation, yeah, yeah. and try to keep it really close.
0: What's the first thing you do when you get a script that you're working on? <clears throat> What's like uh, you,
1: audition or? Um,
0: Let's, no, go beyond the audition. Let's say that you book the role and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do the job. I look for the two conversations of the script because
1: that'll define the theme. So I go, I read a script and I go, there's two sides to every story. So the story is, uh, I don't know this one that I'm doing in Montreal yet. Um, it's going to be in French too, but uh, I look at the, so the one I just did recently is for the Britney story. So I go, what are the two conversations? Well, self-destruction there's her alcoholism and her love addiction and k-fed and all that and then there's what's the other conversation and through the script the the other theme the other story that keeps coming over and over and over is family and then you go oh right and so I actually put in family in a search and family showed up in the script 118 times or something like family is so I go okay so the two conversations in the story are self-destruction and family so the theme is um, if you don't have a secure family supporting and protecting you, uh, sudden success can d- lead to self-destruction. Yeah, do you
0: s- literally start reading the script to find this? Yeah. Uh, you, so you, your first thing is you don't think about your part in the, the, the show. You go through the script to read it like once, yeah. twice, oh, five yeah. times?
1: I think we all have to come in with some kind of like alien anthropologist or god-like point of view and look down on the script and go... Just get out get out the get out of my head the fact that I got this great scene where i'm crying in scene forty two just this is not about me and go what because I need to serve this script, so what is this script wanting, and then I can deduce what my character is because then I go then Jamie is family over self destruction he used to he used to um overcome his own self-destruction to get back to saving his family. And then I go, okay, now I know his role in Brittany's life, and I can start figuring out what each scene means to him. So you start by
0: so literally just reading it, what, like one time, five times? One time and then think about it, go for a walk? Most writing is really obvious. I think most
1: writing is the writer hammers it over your head. Like, I think a guy like Shanley goes, in the line of dialogue will be, you know, um, sure, we'll go to hell. Sure, it's immoral, but I can't help myself. I love you, you compound me, be with me. Right. And you're like, there's your two conversations, morality and love. Right. Or like, you know, um, but I, I don't really enjoy movies anymore in a certain way. I kind of enjoy it on a different way, but it's like a chess game. So The Martian, we are just, just talking about our heroes, and I was thinking about Matt, Matt Damon. So The Martian, <clears throat> I, I watch The Martian, and I'm going, what are the two conversations? So the one conversation is survival, obviously like growing potatoes in your own shit and them needing to go back and and them having dumped them so survival is one conversation but what's the whole other conversation in the film like why was that film so good because it was so good yeah, yeah. it's sense of humor the whole other conversation in that film is they the astronauts only talk to each other through um, taking taking the piss out of each other and making jokes he's singing disco tunes he's making jokes as often as he can so the theme of the martian is in the f- what in the face of uh, uh, certain death or the need for survival what will save humanity is our ability to laugh at ourselves or laugh at the situation humor will save you is what that movie's about yeah, yeah. and I go you know or Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars is um, good and evil versus uh, family and friends like so you know and I see these two conversations so the first thing sorry so the first thing I do when I get a script is I go okay what is this story telling on the big
0: macro sense and like, you're just doing this in your head or you're doing it on a page Oh, I do on a page. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Do you have a notebook that you use, like a specific notebook? This is my Matthew workbook, or do you have like whatever? I used to. Around?
1: I used to, and I teach students to carry a black, black book and fill it up and log with it, and always be because I found about 15 years ago, or oh, it was earlier than that even, and when I was first teaching 18 years ago, I was telling students to do this thing because it gets, makes you always generating and thinking, and but now like. I'm always on the... My little mice are always spinning by right. the wheels. Yeah, so, yeah. And because I have um, the, on, the online campus, which, you know, I'd be happy to talk about, but the, at www.actorsfoundryonline.com, right. there's an online campus. I post a lot of stuff for the actors to study and assignments and practice. And so the campus has kind of become my online logbook.
0: Yeah, but... So, I mean, not in... But specifically when you have a role. So you'll, you'll read the script, you'll start breaking down the story... And then when do you start thinking about your character's place in the story? Yeah, really? so then...
1: Well, I wrote it all on pieces of paper, and then I, I typed it out later, but I just get in my binder, in my fat Do you keep binder. a binder? Oh, yeah, it gets thick, it gets so
0: thick. I mean, not everybody does.
1: Oh, I don't know how you could work without it, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. do you have
0: a specific binder for every role? Like, I you have
1: this one blue binder that I... When take I'm done, out. I take everything out, put it on a shelf, and I use that blue binder again. It's like my lucky binder or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm superstitious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so I'll write out what are the theme, what's the theme, what are the two conversations, and how do they contradict. And then I, now I know my point and counterpoint as a, as an a, a character. Like, I want to support my family, but I'm a self-destructive alcoholic.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: This, but that, you know. Then I go, okay, now I get it. Then I, what I do is, then I go through the script and I write down on a piece of paper every scene I'm in, and just one line of what happens. So scene five, I'm drunk and I'm done. scene seven, da scene, scene and the big turns were scene forty-four, I confess I'm powerless to alcohol. Scene seventy-seven is my redemption, I saved my daughter, you know. And so I go through all the scenes and I write them all down. Yeah, yeah. And then I look at it and then I go, Okay, so oh, act one, I'm an alcoholic. Act two, I'm in rehab. In act three, I redeemed and saved my daughter. I go, it's a perfect three-act structure. Right. And then I go, I hope it works. And there you go. My, my scenes work in a perfect... I win-lose-win, lose-win, lose-win, lose-win. Lose, and I map out my whole character arc. And now I go, now I know my character arc. And then, from there, <clears throat> I can go into each individual scene. I go, now, how does this scene fulfill this arc?
0: Now, do you... Do you when you are writing all that out, do you actually write out the arc really? of the character? In, in, on a separate piece of paper or on the margins of the script?
1: Oh, on different pieces of paper, and then I, I post them all in my book. And, and, and the truth is, is you're, you're filming out of sequence. So, I mean, I was literally filming a scene where uh, she's fine, I'm fine. We're near the end of the scene. I'm congratulating her. I'm making her cheese grants. And then it's, good, cut, print, we've got that scene, okay. We're going back to scene 12, where I'm drunk and I'm punching somebody. Right. And it's like, okay. And it was, it's eight years earlier. And then we got to go, so the character was bouncing all over the place. And there was one time where I walked in and they said, we're doing a scene shift, we're going to scene 62 today. And I'm like, scene 62? I didn't even, so I go to my book and I open it up and I go, and then I looked at my little chart and I go, scene 62. Right, I'm frustrated because I can't save her because now I'm clean, but she's not. Okay, good. Blah, blah, where's my motion? Okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, down to the. He gets divorced, so I was like, "Am I married or divorced at this point?" And right, and then it's that, and the hair's this way, and like I know props and wardrobe, but you know they're busy. I feel like in the end, I'm the one who's if I'm wearing the wrong ring or if I have the wrong wristband on or the wrong watch or my hair is part of the wrong way, that's up to me. It's my but fault. You're responsible. I'm responsible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, mean, I like, Yeah, I keep notes on all that stuff.
0: They're there to help, to <laughs> assist you, but ultimately it's your...
1: This, is, this is the really exciting parts, like when you have a big role in a show, but there's also like the one day guest star thing. Yeah. I mean, I still go nuts. I go, I mean, I was, I just did Rogue. It, you could just, that one was you could just phone it in. Just yeah, like, yeah. What do you mean they don't have the chips? Well, like, send them out now. Right. Take them out. You know, it's that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah. we're wearing a suit, so we're really serious, you know? Yeah. And I thought, I don't, I don't, I can't do it. I can't just walk in and, and I oh, I shouldn't, I've said the show, because now I want to tell you an anecdote.
0: <laughs> no, don't. Well, anyway,
1: somebody on set, when I was talking to them my, about my character, you're going to love this. You're going to hate this. I won't say who it was, but there was a person on set, and I said, uh, I would talk about my character to them. And I start in, and the guy says, hey, dude, it's a paycheck. Right. And I thought, how appalling. Like, I don't care. I don't even care if I don't like the show. Like, I'm going to make it something great. Because some dude, some lady is sitting in Columbus, Ohio at 2 in the morning. And she's watching TV because she shouldn't be, but she's watching TV at 2 in the morning because she's bored or insomniac or depressed or something. Like, something about what I'm doing has to affect her so she, in some way, gets expressed by humanity.
0: You know why? I mean, why do you think he does that? Why, why do you think he does Well,
1: usually insecurity that? and yeah. fear of not having done your own homework or that you don't have enough right, right. to be apart part and all that. So, I mean, I looked at that one. I, I watched the... I, so I, I called the producer and I had them send me all 10 episodes. I mean, on my character, I have like eight lines an episode. I'm in two scenes, and I say it's all the same stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, I told you we shouldn't have sent Everett out. Okay, send in the troops. It's that stuff, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, but I, uh, I go, this is not my movie. This is not my TV show. This is that woman's TV show, and the, because I'm I'm a minion of this the bad girl, and she as the season goes on, you realize she's not who she seems to be. She's not nearly as powerful as she is. And, you know, spoiler alert, not that anybody cares, but she's actually an employee of the NSA and they come down her and they're destroying her. And so her arc is extremely downward. And I was and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Maybe. And my first scene, I'm very ashamed and she she bitches me out and she calls me names and stuff. And I went, what if every scene I got more powerful because she was getting more unhinged? And by the end of it, I'm like, I don't agree with what you're doing. And so I played it that way. And I thought, that's probably what the script wants me to do. And yeah, so yeah. every single time, I, because I, I was on a bunch of episodes, and every single time I, I do it, I get a director going, yeah, great, thank you. And I go, any? And like, no. And then on the la- very, very, very last episode, last day, the showrunner was like, I just love what you did, the way you got done. And I was like,
0: yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I did it right, which is great. But at least I was doing something. I mean, you know, you want to do
0: something. Yeah. You know, just sit there and... Uh, when you're working on a part, do you think a lot about the physical life of the character? Do you, like, are you a guy who, well, I mean, I guess like the classic question would be do you work ever from the outside in as opposed to the inside out? I mean, no, of I never
1: to... ever work from the outside in. I you don't... never have? Ever? No, I, I used to back in the day when directors would want me on stage and stuff, but I think that's really my career. I mean, I will, there will be, oh, I'll caveat that in a second, but I I believe it's all inside out. It's who is my character uh why is the way he is? What drives him? What are his objectives? What kind of behavioral actions does he play? What is his relationships to the people around him, the world, the life around him? And it's all intellectual, emotional, and then once you have all of that, the physical usually uh, will flow right in. And so my, I see it in class all the time. I don't talk about it to an actor about like stats, you know, stature, on stature um, body posture sure. or yeah, voice yeah. or or lip or impediment or I don't do any of that. We just talk about who is he, why is he doing what he's doing, what's he doing to the other person, what's his emotional truth. And then usually, almost always, on the final presentation of the scene, something happens and the actor's suddenly completely different posture. They're talking a little bit different. Their eyes are kind of like in a different way. Their whole demeanor changes because their emotional intellectual has changed so the uh, physical has to come with it. right. And then, there's the weird stuff. So, there is a tiny little bit of acting, which I don't think of as character. I think of it as added characteristic, which is accent or limp. And so, mm, I don't know about um, Harlan Molson. I'm going to have to study him. But, um, you know, uh, Jamie Spears, I just played, he's got a Louisiana accent, And he talks like this, and I studied him, so there's tapes of him going, I'm making my baby some cheese grits, oh, she loves the cheese grits, he talks like that, you know, he's from Louisiana, but like, north of New Orleans, but towards Texas, so it's almost Texan, you know, and so I had to go, okay, why does he talk like that, and where does it come from, you know, and then, he's alcoholic, so then I had to get into, like, what is that like? To be like belligerent. Like I got these, I'm going to blow your mic. I got these lines where like, I'm like, son, you speak English because you're pissing me off and I'm going to give you a good whipping. Like I got lines like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I was watching him on tape and he's physically very different than me. He's a big dude, right? You know I mean? And he holds himself like this. He's like a former football
0: player. Right, right he's not standing
1: up. Oh, no, I'm standing <laughs> up this way, well. yeah. Sure. And, and And he kind of walks around with a sort of like intention, like a weight, yeah, which yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm like... Very, very uh, guy.
0: How did you find that? Oh, you can't find it on the day because it might be
1: halfway so, through shooting. So no, no, I worked on it. So I watched, I watched him, and knowing his intent, I call it action. People call it intention or objective. Or knowing, he's a man that wants to be the lion of his family mm. and the protector of his family. He wants to be. He's a Christian man. He's going to hedge his family, but he's lost control of his family because his daughter's Britney Spears. something's falling apart, and so there's this need to still be the center of the world, even though he's off-centering himself with alcohol. And so I found that kind of weight. And I, and I kind of just like, the, the clothes that they gave me were so not my, it's all like very walmart like yeah, sportsman, you know? And so I was like, big jeans and big boots and that kind of stuff. And so uh, uh, this time, what was really fun was I did all my homework, intellectual, emotional homework, but it was in the wardrobe fitting. Like, I, I did, like, a I swear, man, like a five-hour wardrobe fitting, and I hung out with the wardrobe ladies, and I brought glasses the way he wears them, and I was playing with the glasses, and I was walking around, and I put these things on, and I was trying the different clothes, and at the end of my five-hour wardrobe fitting, I was like, oh, fuck, I got Jamie Spears. I oh, that.
0: that's interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah but yeah. again, is that ex- outside in, I think... I had to do. I had to know who he is first before I could figure out how he talks and walks.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm. S- it was if, such an exciting role. No, not at all. But if let's assume for a second that the person is not a real person. Yeah. Yeah. So then, do you find the physicality? I'm, I'm on this kick now that physicality is really important um, to discover uh, and discover before you get to set. Oh, yeah. Um, and how? So how do you do that? I mean, like obviously, you don't have the other actors to rehearse with. For the most part. Well, okay, <laughs> so again, I think
1: like arbitrarily wanting to differentiate your character physically Right. is really dangerous. And yes. And, yes, and it's another minefield. Right. And so you've gotta do all your homework and you gotta get your yourself up on your feet as the character. So you you just gotta work with a coach, which most actors do, or again yeah, that's actorsfoundry.com. Oh. Yeah, know <laughs> yeah. I'm so busy <laughs> no, these days. <laughs> kidding, but do you work with an acting coach or just work with. Um, actually, what I'm doing, because I am so busy these days, yeah. is my grad class is so good that I'm. When people call to say, look, I'd like to pay you for coaching, I'm like, why don't you just hire one of my grad class students? It would be a lot less cheap. You get a lot less cheap, a lot less expensive. You could probably just buy them for a coffee. They probably just want to hang out and act. Yeah, yeah. But they're good, and you get to bounce things off of And I think if you work with three, four actors, it would be great. And then I think what you need to do is emotionally. If, Go to the emotional fullness of your character and the um, fullness of an intention. So find the moment in your script where they're the most emotionally... uh, Invested. ...ripe. Yeah, yeah, And the most committed to an action. So they're not hiding the corner. So it's the time when, in tears, they tell their dad to get away from you. And I'm like, okay, let's find that moment. And in that moment, if you've done all your other homework, usually your body will follow.
0: Right.
1: And then it becomes that was so... Then the, other, the coach or the actor goes, that was so intense, man. You're like, your oh, shoulders are hunched and it's like your face got like tighter. And, it was yeah, like, and you're yeah. like, that's interesting. I, mean, I wonder why. And then it's like, then you start to play with that. And then, and then you go, oh, it's such an interesting character trait if I have that. But if you're thinking about your shoulders when you're acting on camera... Right, a of course. So yeah. to me, it's more... It's actually through the intellectual rigor of breaking down the script and the emotional investment and commitment to the character... And the commitment to playing the scene, voice, and body usually follow. And then there's the extra stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, then I get that there's sometimes like, you know, your character's uh, got an introverted twitch, or he touches his face in a certain way, or he stumbles with his words, or and and that's like it, you find it accidentally, and you go, "Oh, that's really good." Well,
0: I, I mean, th- let me ask you this. But I don't think when... it
1: ever comes out of your cranium; it has to always come out of your gut. Well. I, so let me ask
0: it in a way that I think it's, I'm going to frame it exactly how I want it to be answered, but but, you can just, <laughs> but hopefully you maybe you disagree or not. Um, the uh, when people talk about choice as an actor, yeah. as a, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, yeah, and we, uh, like we do, make choices, but those mm-hmm. if those choices come from a place of joy, mm-hmm. if they it, don't, you think that's where you should be coming from? It can't be a choice an intellectual choice. It has to be a choice from a place of joy. That's that's, an, a that's a neat way to say it. Like it'll be very fun if this guy's like that, and I always think I'm on the right track if I go. It'd be very fun to play like, oh, that's the scene. Well, joy is a good word though, because sometimes it's not fun to
1: be an alcoholic who's hitting your daughter, you know. Right. But, But there's a a fullness and passion to it. Yeah, yeah. I so I absolutely detest. Uh, the word choice—it's got so many—and it has it, no. You're not allowed to say that word in my class, right? It's got all this. It's a lazy, like lazy baggage. word. There's so many lazy words that actors use, and it's a lazy word. My favorite example is the casting director says uh, to the actor, "So what was your choice?" Hmm. And the actor goes, "Oh well, I chose to, you know, do this." And then she goes, "Well, your choice is wrong because that's not what the script says. So what you should have chosen is this." And one goes. Where is choice in that? There really is no choice. You play the script the way the script is written. And to me... The interpretation comes from your filter. The the interpretation is an accident. So interpretation, choice, it's all in the eyes of the audience. Mm. The actor is simply just getting out of the way and letting the character be served. Right. And certainly there's a moment where an actor can say to me, yeah, well, but in this section, I could see it that he's placating her although i can see why you would be uh, attacking her and they both kind of work and to me it's very rare like a writer is very intentional about how they write uh-huh. but <clears throat> and you could call that a choice but if i go no i am absolutely convinced that john patrick shanley wants me to do this this way or he or or um I don't know, uh, Aaron Sorkin is telling me this is the way it needs to be done, then I feel like there's no interpretation allowed. And then in that moment of surrender and performance, little interpretations occur, and that's where the art happens. Well, and
0: the trick is is that you thinking that is in fact your interpretation, because you're not, for the most part you'll have that interpretation before you get a chance to talk to John Pester Well, Kennedy, you'll, never, or, you'll never get into Aaron Sorkin's head but, well, unless so you're working you, with Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, right. If you working so, with him, you will eventually, but you'll have made that interpretation and he'll probably agree with you even though that might not have been what he intended.
1: Well, I... I, it, they, I right, the, but if you right, read uh, over script, over like as you do, over and over and over and over and over, you start to realize that the actor... Acting's not really an interpretive art form. Acting is a craft of servicing... Those scripts. Hmm. I don't think servicing was the right word. <laughs> it sounded sexual. I'm serving the script, right. and that you go. Oh, Nick Payne is writing. This is what this is about. Like the 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 individual actor is a different instrument that's going to play. That that you're uh, that you're uh, an electric guitar and I'm an acoustic guitar. You know, when we play the music, it's going to. If you and I did a scene identically, it would look so different because you and I are different people. Right. But we would still be doing what we think is right. right. And I do think that there's a right approach to a scene. And to me, there's one right approach to the scene, an infinite wrong approaches to the scene. And the right one is what the writer intended. And that's when it gets a little interpretive, because how do you know what the writer intended? Sometimes you, you can't get your prejudice out of it. Yeah, but yeah, I sure. think an actor has to come to it with the uh, idea that they will not interpret. They will simply live out what's being asked of them. And then something will magical happen.
0: Do you... Now, let me ask that you... That comes from classical music. Do you do you plan your moments, the moments ever, or do they come in the moment? Do you like... Because that begs the question, then, if it, there is only one way to... to If there's only one interpretation of, this, of the scene, and I, I, I'm not saying I disagree or agree with you, um, but then you could just plan every moment. Ah,
1: well, yeah. Well, see, now we're talking about two different things. Because... Uh, the performance of the scene is the surrender to the scene. Right. And so how the moment, in the script, the writer has said, I'm going to do this to you because you just did that to me, and my objective is this, and our relationship is that, and so now I'm going to do this to you. And I know exactly how the scenes, I know what each moment means in fullness to my character, but I have no idea what that moment's going to look like until it's in play. And so... The more you know exactly what the notes of the scene are, the less you're going to have to make those notes happen. They'll just happen, and they're going to happen in a magical way that's all surprising and spontaneous.
0: Because there are some very <laughs> fantastic actors that I've worked with that are very planned the moments, planned every moment.
1: But they then... They allow
0: for accidents. I'm not that kind of actor, and I don't think you're that kind of actor. But would you, do you think that those people... You would suggest that those people would we be better served not doing that, do you think?
1: I would suggest that if the actor really is formidable, like great, and they are result-oriented, that they're probably exceedingly good at surrender in the last second. Mm. And right. you're not, you're not actually aware of how alive it really is because you could see that they kind of knew how they're going to do it, but it was still, like I think one of the highest forms of what we do is comedy, and comedy is tough because you've got to deliver a line a certain way or it's not funny. Right. But if you don't make it funny in the moment and spontaneous, then it's not funny. Right. So it's pre-planned and then surrendered to. And so I, I think the greatest art is the art that's born of constraint. So you're as shackled as you possibly can be by the, it has to be this. Moment means this. But in that moment, where, how my eyes flare, how we connect... If I happen to look down or not, the line inflects. I get real quiet on the line. You even stand up. Like, it's all that's all accident. Yeah, but yeah. it's still the right moment. Right. It's, <clears throat> to me, it's this. A classical piano player plays Rachmaninoff, right? They have to play the notes Rachmaninoff wrote. They can't make up any notes. They know exactly each note. And yet, I could probably differentiate the five or six, seven different infinite number of piano players playing Rachmaninoff because there's something just slightly unique about that pianist playing it or this pianist playing it. And more so, I could go watch the same concert pianist play the Rachmaninoff, uh, you know, whatever we're talking about, um, piano concerto, and night after night, there's just something new about it or different every night, even though he's playing it identically. Right. And that's the magic of art.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I
1: think actors are too busy trying to rewrite the music. I think learn the notes and then let the notes speak for themselves. That's really what
0: acting is. How much do you think about the technical side of the performance? Where the lights are uh, if you're on film or X- on stage? <laughs> where the lights are if you're on stage? <laughs> Extremely
1: little. And uh, uh, in the last year or so on set... I've noticed that, because I've, I've, I've been having a really good year, I've noticed that um, I don't... There seem to be two kind of different types of actors. I guess it's not fair, but... Me, it doesn't matter where the camera is, I know what I've got to do in the scene, and you and I are doing something. Mm-hmm. It's your close-up, it's my close-up, it's a master, it's a two-shot, the camera's moving, it's a dolly shot. I don't care, I'm acting my ass off, and they film me. And to me, acting is really repeatable documentary. I have never, ever in my life asked, "What's the frame?" or "What's the lens?" You know, are we on a forty? Are we on a fifty? And I see actors always asking, like, "Are we?" Not always, but I see the kind of actor that asks for, like, "What what lens are we on?" And I'm kind of like, I mean, it's nice to know your film technique, and I know what a forty is, and I know what the frame is, but I'm like, w- how is that relevant to your acting? Like, so you're reining it in because it's a close up? Stack
0: your ass off, and then and then they'll film it. What about and, playing to the audience though? What's that? What about playing to the audience, and in that case, the audience being the camera? Do you in theater? That, yeah, in anything. No, the really. Uh, if,
1: if I'm completely engaged to you, what I you know, teach is vectored out. If I'm completely vectored on you, you remember that from classes, but if I'm totally connected to you and not connected to myself, I become in, if I'm completely interested in you and not self-interested, I become amazingly interesting to the audience for the camera. And what it does is I have, if all my energy is focused on you, none of my energy is focused on me, which means my instrument is open, it's a vacuum, and it compels the audience to watch. So I, I mean, I, I was so blessed when I was in New York watching these great actors. But you watch Christopher Plummer on stage, he's so completely lost in the moment in the other actor that you become Christopher Plummer. It's so intense, and that's where I went. Oh my God, that's what it's about. There's no fourth wall. The audience is me. I am the audience, and we're connected. But then you'd see other actors, kind of old school actors. I don't shit on anybody, but uh, Jason Robards, I guess, who were like a little bit presentational in their style. And it was like um, it was like an anthropological. It's like being at the zoo with the bars between you. You're like, well, isn't that interesting how he stood up that way? But I'm not. I become Christopher Plummer, like you become Ryan Gosling, because I think he's so lost in the moment. Somebody else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think, I think the audience and the cameras just become part of you because you're so busy of trying to affect the other actor. Mm-hmm. So I don't, So technically, like, yeah, I know I hit my mark, and I know how to make sure that I, you know, I've practiced enough that, you know, if you block my light, I'll make sure the light's on me, and I can find my lens and all that stuff. But you don't deliver a moment
0: to the audience, for the audience you would never punch the
1: moment for the audience. No, uh, that's interesting. But I would say that when you're doing your analysis, w- where's the audience and what do they need is an important aspect. You've got to go, is the audience inferior or superior to the information my character knows? And how does that affect my analysis? In the acting of it, in the actual performance of it? No, it's just me and the other actor and the cameras are part of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And I forget, like like you and I are having this conversation, there's that yellow wire that's there on the wall. Yeah. I haven't paid any attention to that this whole time because you're more important. that's right. film acting, yeah, yeah, but um, but there are times where you got you can see a great stage actors they know that right now the audience needs a second, and so they give the audience that second, and then you go, but they weren't thinking about it in the moment, no, right that was when they were doing the analysis, they were like, "I have to take a sh- change here in a beat
0: and Thanks. things like that what what excites you more? I think I know the answer because somebody <clears throat> kind of said it. The story or the role? When you're, when you're, we you book something, you're going you're gonna to do a job. What, what is more exciting about it? Would you rather, would you choose a project based on story or based on role? <laughs> or is it individual? I would
1: say, so I would say, I'll give you three answers. I think the uh, intellectual teacher answer would be the role is part of the story and they're all. Parts of the same sum, and so you can't differentiate those two things. I would say, as uh, the actor uh, who loves what I do for a living, the story would be more important because um, the story is really what the audience is riding, and that and the characters are. If the story is the roller coaster, the characters are what's buffeting the the architecture of the story. As a dude, though, who likes to act, like I think the role's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah, and, right. you know, I don't even really know what the Jean Bellevaux story is yet, but I know that I get to play Artland Molson, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, also, to be in all humility, like, sometimes we just audition and we get what we get, and we're right, excited yeah. to, I think... Mostly. Anytime most I... Actors. Yeah, I mean anytime I've gotten to work I I've made sure that the role was exciting and the story was exciting to me. Right. Like Legends of Tomorrow which you actually helped me on I called you when I was in that hotel room and talked about it um, you know you could you could easily just go "Eh, sci-fi tripe but I I was like this is about a father who's a power hungry dictator who's willing to sacrifice his power for his son because of the love for his son, and then ends up being a mistake because the son ends up assassinating him, and like there's such there's so much to the part, and then like to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I could dig so deep into enjoying this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your job is to enjoy every role in the story,
0: I guess. Huh. So why do you act? That's the classic classic question <coughs> that needs to be asked in you know, something like this. Why do you think you act? Why do you act? What is it? Well. Uh... Not, why did you start acting?
1: Why do you act now? God, those are, are, I think the different periods of my life, the question, the answer would be different and and sometimes not very positive. But I think, uh, I think at the beginning, in the middle, and in the end, and not that I'm done, but now, the truth is that acting is uh, life research. And my... Who am I, and why am I, and what are we, and what does it mean to be a homo sapien? What is emotion, and what is death, and what is God, and what is love? And I don't think there is any greater question than what are we and why. why? And I find that there. I, I, I meet people who are not interested in explaining life and I don't understand them to me the only thing we have is that we're alive and that experience is so mm, wondrous and awesome and terrifying and depressing and at times lonely and exciting and and you want to dig into it so I think that when I first started acting I went I I was drawn to it like a moth to a flame because it was I can really put my hands into the muck of what is life, what is the meaning of life, and then I think I got like a lot of young actors. I got lost in the need for approval and mm-hmm. ego and the high of like people thinking seeing you on TV or whatever it is. All that silliness. And then when you try, when the ego kind of gets put at the kitty table and you get to be an adult again, you get back to. Why I love teaching is because and acting is because it's exploration of being. That's all it is. Mm. It's it's you know gnostes sutan self knowledge.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, final question, maybe probably. Yeah. If you could ask, who who's your idol? If you have an acting idol, who's your idol? A dead or alive, past or present? Who do you look at as your the person that, that you. So not aspire to be, but, but no, most, I know. but most celebrate.
1: Well, someone who inspires me daily, yeah, as an actor, is actually Michelle, my wife. Um, because of her discipline, hmm. she's in. There is no harder worker. You, I mean, you know, Michelle. There is no harder worker than Michelle when she gets a role it's unbelievable the commitment she puts into it um... and she also has great instincts um, interestingly michelle has never really followed my teaching and then ironically we always end up doing the exact same thing and so um, she inspires me in some ways as an actor because i want to i want to make it a, a fair playing field and give people what she seems to have acquired through her youth naturally um, uh, inspired as an actor uh, <clears throat> my students constantly inspire me and that's made sound cheesy but I have Think students of someone
0: because uh, I'm going somewhere
1: uh, with famous people
0: Yeah, no it doesn't have to be someone famous necessarily but someone uh, classic or someone uh, someone that you that you don't have access to
1: yeah because i um, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm going to tell you why because I want to ask you what you would ask them I want to ask you, if you could ask, now not about about the craft of acting. If you could, who's an actor that you, I mean, I can think of someone for you. Well, I, no, no, no,
1: okay. Because my, I think my all-time favorite actor is Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe he's my all-time favorite actor because in some ways I wish I was like him. Uh, <laughs> pretty like him. But um, I... I don't even see a comparison between Brando and Newman. Sometimes people compare them, and I go, Brando was lucky, did three or four interesting parts, and blew himself up. And Newman produced 30, 40, at least minimum, genius pieces, also was a great director, was married for 54 years, raised beautiful children, has a charity that's still going on, and owned a farm in Connecticut. I was like, that guy got it together you know and also enjoyed his beers and, and you know drove race cars he was like to me i mean newman's last words are uh been a hell of a ride that's what he said before he died you're like wow that dude had it like yeah. so, uh, but i'm um, i'm a, a paul newman file so i've seen every movie he's done 50 times and i've watched every interview and what's interesting is paul newman was grasping with the problems that I've been grasping with as a, as, a, as a teacher. And he was all the time dissatisfied in all of his interviews. He goes, I know that we need to rehearse, but I don't know what. And I go, these directors seem to always misguide us, and I need more time to figure it out. And he goes, there are formulas, but I don't know what the formulas are. And so he inspired me to kind of try to answer the problems that he had. So this is completely vain, and I apologize for my crazy arrogance, but instead of asking Paul a question, I'd love to show him the shit I worked out because yeah, yeah. he'd love yeah, it, yeah. you know?
0: Great, good answer.
1: Um, uh, But today, I'm very, very, very impressed by um, Fassbender. I think Fassbender is fascinating cat. And uh, I, I know that Matt Damon does stuff, and I'm a big fan of Matt Damon. I know Matt Damon does a lot of the stuff that we do. But Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Fassbender come from... Like different schools, like the English schools. Well, they come from the same school.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, different schools than that. Damon's, very. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah right. they
1: come from that. Where the? What are they? Where are they from? They're uh, 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 Londa, Londa, yeah, yeah, one right. of those. And uh, and uh, I stand on the shoulders of the great American teachers, but they're coming from an English tradition, and yet I, they look like they're doing what I do. So I would love to show them the, my process and then have them tell me how they do their work. I'd love to sit down with Fastbender and go, how did you do Steve Jobs? Let's walk through it. Because I do really yeah. yeah. So I, I think I'm on a, I'm a Fassbender kick right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this.
1: It was so much
0: fun. We could talk forever. It's like yeah. our
1: favorite subject. We yeah, can yeah. talk about what we love. It
0: is. But, uh, yeah. I guess that's it. So thank you so much for taking the time. It was my pleasure. Great.
1: Yeah, good. Uh, so go turn off. And... C. Cut! <laughs>